Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Hey, we've been in a three-week series that, uh, that we've been calling Disillusioned. What do you do when you doubt? What do you do when you doubt? And we've been kind of uh, looking at the anatomy of, of disillusionment and doubt, kind of breaking things down. And, and you know, as, as sometimes as believers, how many, how many would admit, sometimes I've struggled in my faith. Sometimes I have found that I get a little disillusioned. I've, I've struggled a little bit uh, with doubt. And so that's what we've been talking about. And last week, we, we said that doubt tends to to fall in three categories. We said first there's intellectual doubts. Those are, those are doubts often raised from those that are outside of the Christian faith, but can make their way in as we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Maybe is the Bible the word of God? Is Jesus the, the son of God? Did he really rise from the dead? Those kinds of things. There's also spiritual doubts. Those are some things that, that happen where sometimes you might question, boy, if I gave my life to Jesus, then why do I still struggle with guilt? Why do, why do I still, why do I still struggle with that? And can I really trust the word of God? Is, is, is scripture really God's word? Can I, can I really trust that? And then thirdly, there are circumstantial doubts. Those are, those are things that sometimes happen because either there is a, a, something that happened in our life, some kind of circumstance that we feel is, is unfair. And, and so we begin to say, well, wait a minute, I didn't, if it, how how if I'm serving God, why did that happen to me? If God's really in charge, why do you allow that happen? Sometimes we we face some unmet expectations. God, I thought you were going to do this, but you didn't. And and these kind of things can cause us to be a little disillusioned and struggle with doubt in our faith. Well, today I want to explore that first category, intellectual doubts, because there are disillusionments that can sometimes come and become a part of our faith. Because because we believed God, or we believed something that, that was in Scripture, maybe something we were taught in Sunday school or in youth group, and then all of a sudden, maybe we went off to, to college or university, and there was a professor, or maybe somebody challenged us in our faith, they brought up something we weren't quite prepared for, and it, it kind of seemed like maybe Scripture really wasn't, maybe, how, how can I believe Scripture? They raised this question, and I don't, I don't know how to answer that question, and it's easy to get disillusioned in those moments. So, if you've ever wondered, today we're going to look at uh, Bible and Scripture. And if you've ever wondered, boy, it seems like the Bible and Scripture are in conflict with one another. How, how can this be? Do I believe science or do I believe Scripture? I said the Bible and Scripture are in conflict. That was just really bad. I meant Scripture and science are. <laughs> Right? See that? I'm tired. I was at the weekend, all weekend with the fine arts kids. They did amazing. They did amazing. You have awesome, awesome students here at PAG. They are filled with so much. No, we're going to talk about what are, are, the Word of God, Scripture, and science. Scripture and science. Are they really at odds with one another? Do you have to believe one or the other? So today we're going we're gonna to dive in and, and, and we're going to look at this idea of, of scripture and science today. And if you've ever wondered, uh, you know, these are the kinds of things. Did God create the world in seven days? Or was there seven seasons? Or how could that be? How, how, does, the, how does the Big Bang theory or evolution, how, how, how do we reconcile these things 
with Scripture and the claims. And, 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 and sometimes you may say, how, how can a rational thinking person, how can a rational educated thinking person look at all the scientific evidence and, and still come away believing in, in Christianity? And I think that that can happen. As I said, I think sometimes you can grow up going to church and you really, uh, you know, you, you're, you, you, you're, you're believing it and then all of a sudden you go away to school and, and somebody just introduces something and it causes you to become disillusioned in your faith. I think it's kind of like a little girl, she was in her fifth grade class. And, uh, and they were talking and she was telling the, the, the teacher how she believed in Jonah and the whale. And the teacher was saying, yeah, that's impossible. Jonah and the whale is impossible. There is no way that that, that big fish, you know, with that, such a small throat could ever just swallow a person whole. It's just not possible. It's not physically possible. And little girl said, well, I learned it in Sunday school, so I know it happened. And she kind of stood her, her ground and, 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 uh, and the teacher said, well, that's impossible. She said, it's in the Bible. It has to be possible. And the teacher said, no, it isn't. The little girl started quiet, crying and she said, well, then when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah and he's going to tell me how it was possible. And the, the teacher thought she was getting real smart and she just said, well, what, what happens if Jonah's not in heaven? What, what if Jonah's in hell? And the little girl said, well, then when you die, you ask him. That's how she rolls. <laughs> no, on a serious note, though, many people say, you know what? I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And, uh, and, and they might believe some things about God. And again, then one day something comes along, contradicts. And, and causes us to be a little bit disillusioned in our faith. So today we're going we're gonna to attempt to answer that question. Why does science seem to be in conflict with the Bible? And uh, more specifically, why do some people think think that science is in conflict with the Bible. Because I, I think we're going to unpack some things. We're not going to get through all of it. We're not going to get through this. It's not going to be this, you know, we're not going to get into all those things. But I'm going to point out some things today that I think might help you. Uh, because the reality is that, that some see the relationship between science and, and, and Scripture to be competitive instead of cooperative. To be competitive instead of cooperative. And, and they kind of look at it as an either or. You can either believe in science or you can... I believe in scripture and they they see these things as competitive and not cooperative and what happens when you see something as competitive you you then think well if if science is true then science wins and christianity loses but if christianity and scripture is true then then scripture and, and christianity win and science loses and that's what happens when we begin to see it as 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 competitive rather than cooperative, but, but if you go back to uh, around 400 years or so after the birth of Christ, there's a guy by the name of St. Augustine, or some people said St. Augustine of Hippo, St. Augustine, St. Augustine, however you want to you wanna say it, and he believed that science and the Bible are actually complementary rather than competitive. I don't know if you, if you knew that or not, uh, but, but he believed this, that, that there, if, if you came to the place where you, where you looked at it and you saw them as competitive, then, then you probably had a misunderstanding about one or the other. In fact, he taught that, that if you, you didn't understand, you probably didn't understand scientific study well enough, or if there was something in scripture, you probably didn't know scripture well enough to truly be able to, to understand that. And that was the dominant view for about 1500 years until it came to, uh, throughout the, throughout history until what is known as the age of enlightenment. 
And, uh, and at that point, there was a scientific boom. And throughout the 1800s, all of a sudden, there were scientific discovery after discovery after discovery. And it was just, it was just happening. And people in, uh, that, were, that were believers suddenly started to get nervous. And they began to think that these things are competitive. And so they got nervous. And, and, and they saw science as an attack on faith. But the problem is, again, anytime there's a competition, it's about something winning and something losing rather than seeing that both are tools, right? Both are tools. What if instead of us seeing that things are, are competitive, what if we began to see that actually there are some complementary things and we don't have to choose one or the other, right? What if it doesn't have to be one or the other? What if it can be both? Like when you have a birthday party, right? And you say, well, I'd, I, I'd like to have chocolate cake, but I'd also like to have ice cream. How many of you say, give me both? I do. It's a cheat day. Come on, it doesn't count. Calories don't count on birthdays, right? They don't count, right? I know that's not scientific. <laughs> Come on, both and peanut butter or jelly. Peanut butter. Come on, help me out. And jelly. I do better when you help me out with preaching. Right? You have salt and? Right? Eggs and? Bacon. Come on, you got the right answer there. Everything tastes better with bacon. Right? Everything is better with bacon. Right? Batman and? That's right. Not one or the other. And as Christians, we ought to embrace a both and mentality. Because if you think about it, there's all sorts of both ands throughout Scripture. Jesus didn't say, I'm the Alpha or the Omega. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Right? Who was Jesus? He was both God and fully human. Right? Both fully God and fully human. He came from the Father full of both grace and grace and mercy, grace and truth. Oh, go back to John chapter 1. He said, I've come as both grace and truth. Sometimes we like the truth without the, that's a whole nother message. Sometimes we like the truth without the grace. That's called legalism. Sometimes we like the grace without the truth. That's called license. It's in both. It takes both. It's, it's the balance. It's the balance. The author of Hebrews came, said, looking unto Jesus, who is both the author and the finisher or perfecter of your faith. So instead of looking at it as competitors... We need to say, you know what, God created it all and we can learn from science and we can learn from scripture. Albert Einstein said this, science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind. That was Albert Einstein. And in so many ways, both science and scripture are really just two different tools that help us to see truth, to understand truth. And we have different tools every day. I mean, if you go out to the beach, and I'm just thinking about beach time, I'm thinking about, you know, summer vacations instead of this cold, rainy weather. Anybody with me? You might see somebody with a metal detector. They do it up there at Lake Erie, too. What are they looking for when they have the metal detector? They're looking for metal. They're looking for what? Coins, something that people left behind. They might be looking for diamond rings. They might be looking for something like that. The metal detector has a particular tool. It's a purpose. Does it, does it detect sand? 
No, it detects what's beneath the sand. There's a, a specific reason for it. There are reasons for various tools. You see, this is the truth about science. Science seeks truth about our natural world, but here it is about Scripture. Scripture reveals the truth about a supernatural God. Science reveals truth about our natural world. Scripture helps us to understand that we also have a supernatural God. A supernatural God. They both work together. In fact, I love the story uh, of John Cavanaugh. He was a very famous ethnist. Uh, ethicist, excuse me, and he was really searching for purpose in life. And some of you are saying, well, what am I supposed to do with my life? What is the purpose of my life? Anybody ever asked that question before? What's the purpose of my life? What am I doing here? None of you, you all know your purpose. You're the 9 a.m. crowd. And 11 a.m., I'll probably get more hands. I'll probably get more hands. Anyway, he was saying, what does life matter? What do I really need to do with my life? What, is it, what does it really matter? So he packed up his bags. He moved to Calcutta, India to work with Mother Teresa. And they had a very powerful conversation. And he captures it in a book that, that he wrote. Uh, and, and, and Mother Teresa approached him and she said, how can I pray for you? And he said, what I need is clarity. I need you to pray for clarity. And according to his book, Mother Teresa said, clarity is the last thing that you're clinging to and must let go of. She said, I'm not going to pray for you for clarity. And he was shocked. John was shocked. He thought, you're not going to pray for me for clarity. And so, so he said, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You seem to have purpose in everything you do. That's why I came here. You seem to have purpose in everything you do. You seem to, to understand it. Why won't you pray for me for clarity? You seem to have it. And Mother Teresa said this. She said, I've never had clarity, but what I've always had is trust. So I'll pray you trust God. I'll pray you trust God. Now, some of you have been asking questions your whole life. You've been searching for, for, for clarity. You want to know, what is this? How do I understand this? How do I reconcile this? What do I do? But at some point, you may not need clarity. At some point, you may need trust. You may need to trust. You may need to have faith. There's a, there's a part of it where we have to step out in faith. And the challenge is whenever we think about Christianity and, 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 and you think, well, Christianity, I, Christianity has all the, we just got to have all the answers. And we read their scripture and scripture just has all the answers. C- can I just burst your bubble for a moment? Scripture, God does not give us all the answers in scripture. There are answers in scripture, but God does not give us all the answers in scripture. In fact, oftentimes in scripture, you walk away with some questions. How many of you know that to be true? Come on, my people who have served Jesus for a while, right? In fact, the more sometimes you read scripture, sometimes the more it brings about questions that we have. Why? Because when it comes to faith and when it comes to Christianity, Christianity is not about having all the answers. It's about learning how to trust in Jesus for the answers that we don't have. You, you never get all the answers. You never get 100% of the answers. And you don't get 100% of the answers in science either. That's like a house of cars that, that's just ready to fall over. Uh, you know, we, 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 we never get that. I mean, how many of you, you know, have, have ever studied the, the scientific method? Probably going back to junior high school, the scientific method. Come on, you remember what that is. You have some questions and, and you have a question that you want to have answered. So what do you do? You develop what? It starts with an H, an H word. A hypothesis. Very good. I just had a master's class called research design. We were learning all about this. We had to have the hypothesis. This is what the hypothesis, this is what we think is going to happen based on if we do this and this, this is what we think is going to happen. So what do you do next? You have the high, you, you have your questions, then you have your hypothesis, what you think is going to happen. And then what do you do next? You test it, right? You test it. You put it to the test. And sometimes the test reveals that your hypothesis was 
correct, and sometimes it isn't. And in science, if your hypothesis is not correct, do you stop believing in science? No. So sometimes when it comes to scripture and God, as you ask those questions and you do it, they sometimes lead to more questions that lead to you having to develop another hypothesis or press in a little bit deeper to be able to understand these things. And, and that's what I, what I love is you, you don't give up on it when you're challenged. You don't give up on it. The same thing with God. You don't give up on God when you start to be a little disillusioned in your faith or you have questions. You dig a little bit deeper. It's an opportunity to ask more questions and to gain a deeper understanding by pursuing the Lord. Now, let me illustrate early on when it came to to science, there were some people that, man, they believed that the earth was just the center of the universe. The earth was the center of the world, uh, was the center of the universe, and, and they also believed that the earth was flat, that, that's uh, scientifically, they believe the earth is flat. Now, I know there might be some of you, you still believe that. You've been watching those YouTube things. You think that, you know, that there are things that didn't happen. God bless you. I, I love you. Keep asking questions. But somebody came along and they were able to say, no, the earth is not flat. The earth is round. And it's not the center of the universe. There's all kinds of galaxies. There's all kinds of things. Because to be honest with you, that is what's happening in life is we're coming to greater understandings. We're testing certain things. We're coming to greater. You don't have 100%, 100% certainty in science. And there's not this 100% certainty as far as some of the questions that we might come to in scripture. Why did this happen? Why did God allow this? Why did they, they, they cause us? to have to dig in a little bit more. And so sometimes you have to just come down to a place where there is faith and everybody has faith. Everybody has some degree of faith. It's a matter of what you put your faith in and who you put your faith in. There's a lot of people that, that act on certain things in faith based on what somebody on YouTube or TikTok or, or Facebook posted and man, they are taking it at that word. That is it. And I'm just, I'm living my life. Just, I'm making decisions based on that. That's faith. You've just put your trust in whatever that is. So don't tell me that, 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 no, that, that there's somebody that doesn't have faith. Everybody has faith. When you sat down on that pew, you exercised faith. You believed it would hold you up when you sat down. Now, there was some evidence that came along to make you believe that, but you had no idea if somebody came in here and loosened a few things that if you sat down, you, woo, but you trusted when you sat down. Everybody exercises faith in some way, but oftentimes we can't be 100% sure of so many things. And that's why Hebrews eleven six, 6, when it comes to scripture says, without faith, it is impossible to please God please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So today I want to look at three qualities of both science and scripture that I believe are going to help build our faith this morning, that are going to help build our faith if you're feeling a little disillusioned. So the first quality or the first thing I want us to look at today is to look at the beginning of everything. Let's look at the beginning of, of everything. The best place to begin with science in the Bible is right at the very beginning, right? And this is what scripture says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what scripture says right there in the beginning. And why is that so powerful? Because more than 3,000 years ago, Scripture declared what science has confirmed in the last 100 years. And what did science confirm in the last 100 years that Scripture declared over 3,000 years ago? It was this, the universe had a beginning. 
The universe had a beginning. Prior to the Big Bang Theory, most people who were atheists claimed that the universe was eternal. So let me explain how this went. In the 1920s, astronomers were gaining access to larger dome telescopes, things that were, that were being created. They were able to resolve different pinpoints of light that they could see in the night sky, and even with smaller things that they could see, but little pinpoints of life. And uh, prior to Edward Hubble, the scientists who were looking into the night debated as to whether the Milky Way galaxy was the only galaxy in the universe in which our solar system resides. It was the only galaxy. And then Edward Hubble came along and he resolved this issue and he resolved these points of light because he began to look through a great dome telescope at the Polymer Observatory. And he was able to determine that the little points of light that had been viewed through ordinary telescopes before that looked like just little points of light were actually revealed to be multiple galaxies in our universe. Wow, right? Whole galaxies, hundreds and millions of stars. And the first thing that Hubble determined was is that we live in an immense universe. Can we all agree on that? We live in an immense universe, right? We just know that from Star Wars or Star Trek. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It, it was in the grand scope beyond our wildest imaginations, galaxies in every direction. Uh, but now, not only was it just awe-inspiring, but, but theoretically and philosophically, there was a discovery that Edward Hubble made as he began to look at those galaxies. He noticed that those galaxies seemed to be moving away from us. Those galaxies seem to be moving away in every direction of the night sky. Galaxies seem to be receding away. <clears throat> and the evidence came from something that, uh, that they call the red shift. And that is that there is light from distant galaxies that, that were providing a redder, red, being a little bit redder in its hue in this electromagnetic spectrum and in its color. And otherwise, these galaxies would be stationary. But because of this, this red hue in relationship to us, it showed that the galaxy was actually expanding. It was actually expanding. How many have ever heard of the Doppler effect? If you've heard of weather, the Doppler effect. But if, you're, if you see a train, this is the Doppler effect. If there's a train that's moving towards you, and we have trains here moving towards you, the sound seems in the distance, it gets louder, and then as it moves away from you, the sound dissipates a little bit. It begins to, it begins to dissipate. It begins to, the pitch begins to drop. The whistle begins to drop. And it's a shift in wavelength. The same thing happens when it comes to light. And we can infer what? Let me illustrate this with this balloon. I put little, little squiggly lines. You can't see it from back there. The little squiggly lines on this balloon to represent galaxies. And if I blow up this balloon, look what happens to these little squiggly lines. Here we go. They get bigger. Some of you couldn't even see them before, and now it's very faint because it kind of it kind of begins to be faint with the, the marker I use. But they get they get bigger as they begin to expand, and that's what happens. And so, kind of like 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 what you look at, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that, that's when they were looking through the telescope. Edward Hubble was seeing that that seemed to be what happening as these as as these things were were going. The universe seemed to be expanding. So, what happens when you wind back the clock? Remember Saturday. Or Saturday afternoon cartoons when they would suddenly make things go backwards, right? 
What happens if things were to go back? What happens to these galaxies if they start to go back? What, what happens if I start to let the air out of the balloon, right? It gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And so if you recede it back and you take it back, you finally come back to the point where you go, it must have had a beginning. It couldn't be eternal. And that's what Edward Hubble, that's what, that's what he discovered. Edward Hubble realized with the universe expanding, and it, 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 it implied a finite universe, that the universe actually has a beginning, a beginning to time. And this is really significant because on the other side of the country, this scientist with really, really, really big, weird, bad hair, Einstein, was doing some mathematical equations and he was, he was doing these mathematical equations, and he kept doing them over and over again, coming to the place where he goes, well, wait a minute, this can't be right. This, can't, this is saying the universe had a beginning. This can't be right. This can't be right. And so he kept trying to do it again. And then finally, in order to fit the mold that the universe had to be uh, for, forever, he had to introduce some outside force to it. And he kind of he fudged the numbers a little bit on the math. Yeah, Albert Einstein, right? Kind of fudged it. He, he posited an arbitrary force that was meant to counteract the force of expansion as he was running the numbers that the universe would be static and therefore uh, existed eternally without expanding or contracting. <clears throat> Essentially, again, Einstein, one of the greatest physicists in history, kind of fudged the numbers and added a variable in to fit what the belief was and what he believed in that time with math. That is until Hubble discovered the universe expanding and invited Einstein to come on out to California to view the evidence through this grand telescope. And there it is. There's some newsreel footage, but there's going to be a picture up on the screen that shows Einstein looking through this telescope. There in the back with a pipe is Edward Hubble. This is in history. This is actually a historical thing. And, uh, and, and so, so Einstein is looking out and he comes out and he meets the, the media. And this is his famous quote, I now see the necessity of a beginning. In fact, later, uh, Einstein says that this cosmological constant, his little fudge that he, that he had was the greatest mistake of his scientific career. In essence, the heavens talked back. Why does that matter that the universe had a beginning? Why does it matter? Because if the universe had a beginning, it demands a beginner. It demands a creator. It demands a, a beginner of some kind. Something outside of itself would have to cause it to come into being. And as Christians, we believe that that happened in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3 when God said, let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be an electromagnetic radiation with varying wavelengths traveling at a speed of 186,281.7 miles per second. Let there be extraviolet and infrared uh, rays. Let there be gamma rays and x-rays and radio waves and microwaves. Let there be photosynthesis and fiber optics. Let there be LASIK surgeries and satellite communication. Let there be color and health and life and everything else. Let there be light. See, light is the basis for everything. It's the basis for everything. Four words, God speaks to existence, let there be light. And light has been de defeating darkness at a rate of 186,000 miles per second ever since. In fact, let there be light, the word said, and God said. That word said is a Hebrew word that can be it can be translated to challenge and God has been challenging the darkness ever since and the emptiness with his voice. 
This is so, this is so powerful. When we look at the beginning, we see that, that, that Scripture supported 3,000 years ago what science is now discovering. Again, science trying to understand the natural world but can't fully be understood with the natural world without, first, without bringing in Scripture to it and making, it, making sense of it that, that it does fit, that that beginning does fit. And God said, let there be life. And God created the heavens and the earth. Secondly, look at, look at the design of the universe. Look at the design of the universe just think about how, how, how beautiful and complex everything is within our natural world. Look how beautiful and complex everything is. Genesis 1-2 said that before this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And as we read a minute ago in verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And from there, God begins to organize everything, everything in creation. Kind of like that candle lady, you know, with the organization and throwing, you know, in chaos. But you remember her from a while back? Uh, Marie Kando, I think that's her name. Okay, never mind. That's okay. I know, that was old. That was, a, that was an old trend and some of us have moved on from, from Marie Kando from there. No, think about how beautiful and how everything has a purpose. Think about the organization that it takes. I mean, just, just think about it. Somebody puts a seed in the ground and, and, and then God sends rain from heaven and the rain falls from the ground onto that seed. Water seeps down into the soil and that little seed takes root and not before long comes pushing through the soil this little sprout and that little sprout begins to to grow up and, and, and then one day more rain comes and amount of sun and there's buds on that. And then those buds, as we're seeing in spring, then begin to flower and they begin to turn into leaves and they begin to turn into fruit that animals eat and that people eat. And then people eat the animals. I mean, some people eat the animals. We'll just leave that there. That's okay if you don't. But, but that but begin to eat. And then, then over time, those leaves begin to die. Or that, and then it falls back into the, into the soil and begins to fertilize and, and neutralize the soil. And then it begins to happen all over again. And that's just one of the areas of this life cycle of, of things that, that, that come to life and die and come to life and die. And we see this entire thing that we examine with, within, within science. And, and, and we, we would look and we go... And that just, without a designer, without a creator, boom, that just, just happened. Just all of a sudden, one day, boom, it happened in the universe and everything just started to come into being. And all of those just things started to come in. I don't know about your life, but my life doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. In fact, without purpose and order, my life becomes chaos. So if it's up to me, it kind of moves to chaos. It doesn't move towards growth. But... But this is what we see. It's not just by some random, random chance. But when you take one without the other, you're missing the, you, you, you don't have the, you have a missing piece. Do you know that there are about 150 different astronomical constants that are perfectly designed for life to exist? For, for example, if the earth tilted the axis a little bit more or a little bit less, it was tilted on its axis a little more, a little bit less, we would all die. It's perfectly tilted the way it is to support life. <clears throat> the earth spins, it just, if the earth spun just 10% faster, 10% faster than it currently spins, the world floods and we all die. And did you know that if the average distance from the earth to the sun, it's three tenths, 
if it was three-tenths of 1% closer, three-tenths of 1% closer than it actually is, we would all die. This is why atheist scientist Sir Roger Penrose calculated the likelihood of the universe having this precise of a design, and he concluded the odds of this happening by accident would literally be 10 billion or so to the 123rd power. That, that, what that means is 10 billion times a one with 123 zeros after it. You can't even calculate that. Just... The odds of that, so that maybe you say, well, that's just beyond, that's just beyond. Well, let me tell you what the odds of that would be like. The odds of that would be like winning the lottery 10,000 times in a row, and every time you go to cash in your ticket, you get struck by lightning. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. I'm not going to ask how many of you paid the lottery, but you know, I don't think you've won yet, at least not in the tithe. I am, I'm so sorry. This is what happens when I don't get enough sleep. Oh, the late Christopher Hitchens, who was also an atheist, called this the most compelling argument for the existence of God. In fact, he, he says what the psalmist said. And the psalmist simply said this. We call this general, general revelation, Psalm 19, 1 to 2. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. And night after night, they make him known. Friends, God wants to be known, and you can't help but walk out and stare into the sky or go somewhere and see the beauty that is created in, in this and go, wow, God, this is amazing, a master designer, a master creator. Thirdly, let's look at the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to get here, and we sang about it, come alive, come alive, I'm running out of the grave. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Because it is what makes Christianity Unique. The resurrection of Jesus makes Christianity unique. So we're not just talking about God on a, on a general scale. God, there's a lot of faiths that believe in God or some type of form of God. But what is it about Christianity and God? What is it about Christianity and God? Well, you see, because of the res resurrection, Christianity is the, on the only falsifiable religion. And what I mean by that is all you have to do to disprove Christianity is to prove that the resurrection did not happen. To prove that the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen. In fact, Paul himself declares this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Scripture tells on itself. <clears throat> and it says, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. So what we're doing here today is just simply wasting our time. And what I'm doing preaching is, is absolutely useless. And your faith is useless if the resurrection did not happen. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, it's not real, then we're all wasting our time and we might as well go do something else. That's, that's what happens. But consider the resurrection. There's a fascinating study that was done by uh, author Gary uh, Habermas. He composed a list of, of some of the most basic facts surrounding the resurrection and he calls them six minimal facts. Six minimal facts. And for a fact to be on his list, here, here he had a criteria for his list. And for a fact to be on his list, uh, Haberman compared 3,400 different sources, both Christian sources and secular sources from around that time, that time period, about 3,400 sources. And in order for a fact to make his list, it had to appear on, on those sources at least 90% of the time, that fact had to be in those 3,400 sources. So at least 94% of the time, those facts had to be <coughs> on his list. 
In fact, for most of the ones we're going to talk about, they were 100% on the list of both Christian and secular writing around the time of 3,400 sources. So what are these six minimal facts about the resurrection? Number one, Jesus was a real person and he died by Roman crucifixion. In fact, I don't think you can really find too many that would disprove what history has shown us, and that is Jesus Christ was a real person, and he did, in fact, die through a Roman crucifixion. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to know that Jesus walked around. This is, there were eyewitnesses everywhere. There are writings about it everywhere. It is historical fact that this happened. Secondly, Jesus' followers experienced what they believed to be actual appearances of the resurrected Jesus. So whether, whether you believe that he rose again, there's enough evidence, even secular and otherwise, that followers of Jesus completely believed that he was dead and then he was not dead. They believed that they saw him, that he appeared to them and they saw him. And, 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 and there, there are accounts of that. There are accounts of people who said, no, no, I saw him alive. And somebody else, I saw him alive. And, and, and there are accounts of all of, the, all of these people that said he was dead, but he's not dead anymore. Secondly, because of those experiences, these followers were willing to die for their faith because they believed that they experienced and saw they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that Judas had betrayed Jesus, so there were 11 left. Out of the 11, 10 of them were martyrs and died for their faith. The other one, John, was boiled in oil. Because he refused to say, I don't believe, I didn't see Jesus alive. He died, he, he was boiled in oil because of that. Because he didn't die, they had pity on him and they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Yeah. Others were tortured and killed for their faith because they said, I saw the resurrected Christ and I'm not denying that. Number four, the Christian church started right after Jesus was killed, right where Jesus was killed in the city of Jerusalem. So the Christian church itself started, it started right after, it wasn't, this wasn't a myth that was something that came up hundreds of years later or, 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 or after the fact, after the people who had lived during that time would have died. No, right there, right after the resurrection, right in the very place, right in the very city where the resurrection uh, took place, right in that place where Jesus was crucified and took place, right in that city, right in that place, and here we are. 2,000 years later, and there is a bunch of us that are sitting in here saying, yep, I believe it. I've experienced it too. It's still alive. It's still happening. Continues to meet and thrive and spread around the world. I find this one to be quite compelling. James, the brother of Jesus, was not a Christian until after he believed that he saw the resurrected Christ. So James was a brother of Jesus, and early on we know that he did not believe that Jesus was the Christ or the Son of God. In fact, he thought his brother Jesus was crazy. His half-brother, like, who are you? You're crazy. What's happening? This is weird. You think you're the Son of God. But then after the resurrection, he becomes a leader in the church, and he himself gives his life because he says, my brother was the Son of God. Now, I have two other brothers, and I can tell you that if I ever declared that I was the son of God and that I had never sinned, they would be the first to tell you that is not true. <laughs> Beyond that, Jesus' own mother believed that he was the son of God. Now, I love my mother, and she does think I'm a saint, but she knows that I am no Jesus Christ. And your mother knows that too, or knew that. 
The fact that his own family came to believe in him is something that you ought to consider if you're thinking about the resurrection of Jesus because his own brother believed that, his, his, that, that, that he raised from the dead. And then Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, initially started out trying to disprove Christianity, trying to kill Christians. He, he was martyring Christians. He did not believe. He was on the other side. There is no way. He saw this Jesus guy and his followers as a problem. He saw this story of the resurrection as a problem. But then one day, he encountered the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, and it so transformed his life that he too gave up his life because he was so convinced that Jesus Christ had raised from the dead and that this was true so if you look at creation and you look at divine design and you look at the resurrection you can see that if we will take a look at science and we will take a look at scripture and see them as tools that help us understand the natural world and the supernatural world where things in the natural world stop making sense without the supernatural and we begin to put those things together, we can find that rather than being disillusioned in our faith and struggling with doubt, we actually have a more secure foundation for what we believe for our faith. And you might say, well, Aaron, why do you believe that Christianity is true? Because friends, I have encountered the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, and he has changed my life. He has changed my life. His grace and his mercy have so impacted my life that I have said, whatever you want, I'm, I'm following you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I surrender to you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. He has given my life meaning. He's given my life purpose. He, he's allowed me to walk in forgiveness. I don't have to walk in guilt. I don't have to walk in shame. I, when, when there are times when I'm feeling down or lonely, I, I know that when I begin to pray and seek the Lord, all of a sudden there is a presence that is just near me. I have encountered the resurrection Savior, Jesus Christ. And like those others, I would give my life too. I would give my life too. Because I believe, I know this is true. I know this is true. So I just want to encourage you this morning, worship team, will you come? That I know we can't know 100% certain on so many things. But I want to tell you, sometimes it takes a little faith. So you might have been seeking the Lord for clarity. Maybe you were a little disillusioned. Can I believe? I, I don't know. Can I believe this? I don't know if I can believe that. I, I want to encourage you. Sometimes it just takes faith. And so I'd like to invite you this morning that if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, but maybe this morning as, as I was sharing, you just suddenly, some things just started to make sense and you say, you know what? I got a little bit of faith. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I'd like to invite you to put your faith in Jesus this morning and begin a relationship with Jesus and allow him to help you begin to make sense of some of those things that have created some doubt and disillusionment in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Let's bow our heads this morning. And if that's you, and maybe you'd like to place your faith in Jesus, or maybe you're watching online, you'd like to respond today. I, I just want to pray with you. If that's you, and maybe today you say, I'd, Pastor, I, I've been kind of a little resistant, but today I just, I feel compelled. I don't know what it is, but there's just something inside of me that just is, 
yeah, I, I, today's the day. I've got to put my faith in Jesus today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I want to lead you in prayer today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Let's pray right now. If you raise your hand, will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you today that you love me and that you gave your life for me and that you rose from the dead. I place my faith in you today. I believe. I don't understand it all, but I believe. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to cleanse me and come into my life. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.